We turn in God's word to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, we read the whole chapter. The text will be verse 13, is verse 13. First Peter chapter 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you, and peace be multiplied. Now, verses 3 through 12 is one sentence in the original, so follow along carefully with this logic, with the writing. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope, a living hope, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness." through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen, ye love, in whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice, with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it or he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow, unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported or preached, proclaimed unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end, for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation." Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. 
And if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold, from your vain conversation, received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest, revealed in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God, that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, See that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which, by the gospel, is preached unto you. So far we read God's holy and infallible word. The text is verse 13. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, First Peter is a preeminently practical letter. First Peter is a preeminently applicatory letter. The Apostle Peter writes this letter to saints who were suffering, suffering in many different ways. We come across that reality right away in verse 6. Wherein ye greatly rejoice about your hope, though now for a season, if need be, Ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. These saints unto whom Peter was writing were suffering. They were having their faith tried. They were going through fiery trials. You read that in chapter 1. You read that in chapter 2 and in chapter 3 and in chapter 4 again. Chapter 4 verse 12. Peter tells his readers, Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you or perhaps better, which is trying you. You are going through fiery trials, Peter writes. And throughout the whole letter, there is this underlying understanding that these saints to whom Peter was writing were going through many different sorrows and sufferings. And these saints were also living in the very conscious awareness that they were pilgrims and strangers. That's part of the theme of 1 Peter. In all their sufferings, they are constantly being reminded that this world is not their home. They are not wanted by the people of the world. They are pilgrims and strangers rejected by the world. That comes out in the very first verse of the letter. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the strangers. Not strangers to Peter, but strangers 
in the sense that they are pilgrims, sojourners on the earth. They've been scattered abroad through persecution, and now in the new land where they find themselves in, they're strangers. They're vagabonds in a sense. And so as Peter writes this letter, with all these things on his mind, all their suffering, their, their life as a pilgrimage, with all these things on his mind, one of the things Peter emphasizes throughout is the idea of hope. God's people, as pilgrims and strangers, need to have hope. God's people have hope. They have a glorious hope. And now you need to live out of that hope. That's really the broad context of all of verse Peter. If we now focus in just on chapter 1, I think we can see clearly Peter's, uh, the logic of Peter's writing and thinking. Notice with me verses 3 through 12. As I said, verses 3 through 12 make up one sentence in the original. And in this one sentence, Peter celebrates the wonder of God's salvation. He, he lists the blessings that God has given his people in Jesus Christ. Really, it starts in verse 2. They, and that captures everything. Elect according to God the Father, really redeemed through the blood of God the Son, sanctified through the work of God the Holy Spirit. That's verse 2. But then verses 3 through 12, three through 12 he, he breaks it down and touches on a few more particulars. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which, according to His abundant mercy, hath begotten us again unto a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And what Peter is emphasizing there in verse 3 is the fact that God has regenerated us. God has begotten us again unto a lively hope. We are born again. God has brought us out of death, out of bondage to sin, out of the kingdom of darkness, and He's brought us into His marvelous light and made us His people. Then verse 5, not only has God regenerated us, but God will preserve us in that salvation who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. And then in the verses that follow, Peter talks about how these blessings that the saints are enjoying are blessings that the Old Testament saints were looking forward to. These were blessings that the Old Testament prophets prophets inquired into. And these are blessings that even the angels uh, desire to look into. So in the first 12 verses of chapter 1, the apostle is celebrating the wonder of salvation in Jesus Christ. And that's really what we did this morning. We celebrated at the Lord's Supper what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. God has obtained for us and He has imparted to us a full and free salvation. He's delivered us from all our sins. He's made us heirs of eternal life. And now starting in verse 13, Peter begins to bring the exhortations. He begins to bring the admonitions. He first emphasizes and lays out what God has done for His people in Christ. And now, starting in verse 13, He begins to bring the exhortations. That's how verse 13 starts out. Wherefore, therefore, because all these blessings are yours, now this is how you need to live. And so the text we have for the sermon this evening is a very significant text. I think we could say that this verse is really the overarching admonition that Peter wants to give throughout this entire letter. It's really the summary and the, the starting point of every other admonition given in this letter. 
If you go down to verses 14 through 16, Peter gives another admonition there. Verse 16 really sums it up. Be ye holy, for I am holy. Be holy as God is holy. Verse 17, another admonition at the very end of verse 17. Pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. But here in verse 13, Peter gives the first and the fundamental exhortation of the entire letter. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so I hope now with this introduction I've given you, you can already appreciate the significance and the power of what Peter is saying in the passage. This is a very fitting passage for us to consider this evening as an applicatory sermon. We know, we've heard this morning what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. We have remembered and meditated on the works of the Lord and the suffering and death of Jesus Christ. We've heard about the victory that is ours through Jesus Christ. And now this evening, we hear this admonition. How must we now live in the light of the so great salvation God has given us? In the midst of the sufferings we have in life, how must we live? The first and the fundamental thing is this. Let your whole life be defined and shaped by hope. That's your duty. That is the imperative. That is the admonition God gives you now as His people, having come from the Lord's Supper. We take as our theme this evening an admonition to hope to the end. We look at three things under that theme. First, the needed admonition. Second, the sober manner. And then third, the glorious incentive. Now to begin looking at verse 13, we're going to look at this language very carefully. So it might be profitable to have your Bibles open to this verse. In order to understand verse 13, we first need to point out something about the grammar. In our King James, verse 13 reads as if the apostle is giving us three separate exhortations. First, gird up the loins of your mind. Second, be sober. And third, hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In the original, however, it's slightly different. In the original, there is really only one admonition. And if we wanted to translate it perhaps a little better... A little more accurately, we could translate it this way. This is, by the way, how the ESV translates it. Therefore, preparing your minds for action, girding up the loins of your minds, and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And the point there is this. In this text, there are two participles and one imperative. Two participles, girding up your loins and being sober-minded. Now comes the imperative, hope to the end. I hope that makes sense. The main admonition then is this, hope. Girding up your loins, being sober-minded, hope to the end for the glory that is to be brought to you. So that's the main imperative of the text. Hope. That's the main focus of the letter. Hope. And the apostle uses the word hope 
in a different way than we might be used to using the word in our day-to-day language. Sometimes we say, I hope it's sunny out tomorrow. I hope it's not as cold out tomorrow. As if our hope is only a wishing, wishful thinking on our part. That's, that's not the idea of hope in the Bible. According to the Bible, to hope is to fix your soul on a divinely promised blessing. So hope, therefore, is having a sure and certain expectation of something. So your hope is characterized by absolute certainty. There's no doubt, there's no wishful thinking. But what we hope for, we know we will receive. That's hope. And hope in this context also involves looking to the future. We hope for something that we're still waiting to receive. We're looking ahead to the time when God will give us that for which we hope. And hope also has this idea of intense longing. We have a strong desire for something. So when we hope, we are intensely longing for something that lies in the future, and it is something we are sure is coming to us. That's hope. Now, what are we to hope for? The apostle says, hope for the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And and really, the idea is this. Hope for the grace that is already being brought to you, but that will be entirely brought to you in all its fullness and all its beauty at the second coming of Jesus Christ. That's the idea. Hope for the grace. Well, what is grace? We have to ask that question. Three things. Grace, first of all, is God's unmerited favor. We understand that. Grace here refers to God's favor to His people, And then by extension, the word grace refers to the blessings that come from God because of His favor for His people. Already now we enjoy the grace of God and we enjoy God's blessings, but there is a time coming when God's grace will realize its full purpose with us and we will enjoy the fullness of the blessings of salvation. That's what Peter's referring to. Hope for the grace that is to come, that is to be brought to you. Second, so first, hope is God's, un, or grace, sorry, grace is God's unmerited favor. Second, we can also speak of grace as power. And that's a very helpful for us to remember when we talk about grace. Grace can be understood as power, the power to live and to walk a new and holy life. As Peter writes in 2 Peter 3 verse 18, grow in grace and in the knowledge of your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, Grow in power. That's why the sacraments are a means of grace, a means of strengthening. Grow in spiritual strength. And at Christ's second coming, we will enter into the fullness of grace in the sense that we will be clothed with the fullness of spiritual power and strength. At Christ's second coming, we will be transformed and changed and we will be made powerful in that glorified state. Powerful to live unto God perfectly with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that too is what Peter is referring to. Hope for that grace, that power, and that holy living. And then third, fundamentally the word grace means beauty. That's the the foundational idea. God is a God of grace, a God of spiritual beauty. He is the gracious God, the beautiful and merciful God. And at the revelation, at the appearing of Jesus Christ, God will grace all His people 
so that he will beautify all his people and they will reflect fully the beauty and the goodness of God himself. And that too is what Peter is referring to. Hope for that, Peter says. Hope for that grace. Hope for the day when you will be delivered from all corruption and from all sin and misery and death. Hope for that day when you will see your Savior face to face and you will see God in the face of your elder brother, Jesus Christ. And hope for that day in which you will be delivered from all your sufferings and sorrows and tears and you will bear the image of the heavenly. Really, we could put it this way. This is the idea in the context. Hope for the day when you will be able to finish your earthly pilgrimage and you will no longer be pilgrims and strangers on the earth, but you will be at home in heaven with the Lord. And you will be in the, in the, in the home of your Lord and Savior. Hope for the grace. Hope for the fullness of salvation that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Or to go back to verses 4 and 5, to use that language, hope for that inheritance, incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Verse 3, you've been begotten again unto that living hope. You've been raised from the dead so that you have this hope. Now, out of Jesus Christ, by the Holy Spirit, hope for that grace that is to come to you at the appearing of Jesus Christ. And then what else does Peter say in this admonition? He says, hope to the end. Hope for the grace, and now hope to the end. And what Peter is emphasizing with that language is, is the activity of hoping. Hope to the end, or perhaps, to understand it better, hope perfectly, hope fully, now, what does that mean? Hope to the end. Well, three things. First, it means hope with your whole being, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Don't give any room to doubt. If you are doubting as pilgrims and strangers, it means you're not hoping. Hope casts out doubt. If you are not hoping with your whole being, then you are not hoping fully. You're not hoping to the end. You need to hope to the end. Second, it means this. Hope exclusively for this. Hope entirely, only, exclusively for that grace that is to appear at the uh, revelation of Jesus Christ. And what that means is this. Don't, for, don't hope for Christ's second coming and also for the things of this world. Don't halt between two different hopes. That's where the struggle is, isn't it? Don't have your hope fixed on the earthy but have your hope fixed entirely on the heavenly. Especially as pilgrims and strangers, being reminded that this world is, is not our abiding place. Hope for that. Now that doesn't mean that we ignore or we shun the things of the world. It doesn't mean that we now isolate ourselves from the world and from our callings and responsibilities that God gives us in the world. But it means that even in all our interactions with this world and the things of this world, we're not captivated by them. 
And we're not controlled by the things of this world, but we are controlled by, by heavenly thoughts and, and by the goal of heavenly things. And, and we're living our lives using all these things God has given us, pressing them into the service of the things that are heavenly and eternal, seeking the kingdom of heaven first and its righteousness, trusting that all our earthly needs will be supplied. We seek those things which are above and not the things which are below. Those things which are above where Christ is at God's right hand. That's what it means to hope to the end. And then third, it means that we never stop hoping. We hope to the end. We endure in this activity of hoping. And each day of our lives as pilgrims and sojourners, we keep on hoping. We live out of this principle of hope. Well, beloved people of God, how important that hope is, isn't it? For our lives of sanctification, to live faithful lives as God's children, we need hope, don't we? We need hope. There is an intimate, striking connection between hope and holiness. And that's a connection emphasized throughout Scripture. To give you just one passage, 1 John 3, verses 2 and 3, where the Apostle John puts it very powerfully. 1 John 3, 2 and 3. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And then what does it say? That's your hope. And then what does it say? It says, And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. And in a sense, that's all of 1 Peter. That's the whole letter of 1 Peter. Hope is a power. Hope is a power by which you can live the life that you are called to live in the midst of your sorrows and persecutions and your fiery trials. Hope is that power by which you can live. In fact, it's very striking that Peter doesn't say, first of all, he doesn't say, be holy. Now, in the, immediate, in the immediately succeeding verses, verses 14 through 16, that's what Peter does say, be holy, be holy. But what does he say even before that? He says, hope. That's how you will do it. That's how you will live faithfully in the life that God has called you to live. That's how you will live that holy life, in the power of hope. Living by faith, that's kind of another way of putting it. And isn't that such a needed exhortation? For the saints to whom Peter writes, that's what they needed to be reminded of. Keep on hoping. Keep on hoping. And that's also for us. We have sorrows too, don't we? We have fiery trials. Maybe we have persecutions at work. Maybe we have family divisions. We have heartache and sorrow and discouragements. We have marriages that are a sorrow to our hearts. We can be discouraged by the atmosphere in the church world today. And yet, what is the Holy Spirit telling us to do? The Holy Spirit is reminding us, in the midst of these fiery trials and struggles, have hope. Hope to the end. Keep on hoping. Hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I think of David in the Psalms. You think of David going through so many sorrows. We looked at that last Sunday night. We, we saw it this morning with Asaph too, his struggles. And what does David say 
He's got, he's got a whole army camped against him. He's got enemies who want to eat up his flesh. They are attacking him viciously, persecuting him as a child of God, chasing after him, trying to kill him because he is the type of Jesus Christ. And what does David say as the child of God? What does David say? He says, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. That is hope. Keep hoping. Psalm 130, verse 7. Let Israel hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is mercy, and with Him is plenteous redemption. Let Israel hope in the Lord. Beloved, it is a true statement. Nothing is more likely to cause us to give up in the Christian life than discouragement. You keep getting knocked down. You keep experiencing setback after setback after setback. And you start asking yourself the question, what's the use? Why not just be done with it all? Just give it up. Forget waging this spiritual warfare. It's much easier to have an earthly kingdom. Discouragement and depression are great enemies to the Christian and his calling. Think of Elijah. A man of like passions as we are. And there he is under the juniper tree. And what is he saying? He's asking God to take his life away. He's ready to quit. He's done. Why? Because Elijah lost hope. He lost hope. And then remember the Lord visited him. And the Lord had to renew his hope. And he said, Elijah, have hope. There are yet 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Have hope, Elijah. And Elijah, remember, I am God. There is none like me. And I will accomplish my purpose. And I will keep my promise. I will preserve my people. You can count on that. Have hope, Elijah. That's what he says to us tonight. Hope. Hope to the end. Hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You are pilgrims and strangers on the earth. Don't forget that. Don't lose sight of that. But don't be discouraged by that either. Isn't that often how it comes? We, we talk about being pilgrims and strangers as if that's supposed to be a discouragement. No, that's a blessing. That's the greatest blessing of all because this present world is perishing. This present world is fleeting and transitory and will soon be destroyed. But glory is your home. You, you don't look for an earthly city, but you look for a city which has foundations whose builder and maker is God, eternal foundations established in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's your comfort, that you are a pilgrim and stranger. Remember that and keep on hoping. As I said, this is the foundational admonition the apostle gives in 1 Peter. It's it's the foundation for every calling he's going to give to the saints. And the adult Bible study has been looking at some of those admonitions. This is the starting point. This is is what gives you the strength needed to, to carry out these other admonitions. You have hope. You've been begotten again unto a living hope. Now, hope. And then, shape your life and, and conform your life to that hope. And, and submit to God's commandments having that hope. Well, that's the needed admonition. Having looked at that, we now turn to the first part of the verse, which gives us the manner in which this hoping is to be done. As I said, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober. Those aren't 
admon- the main admonitions, but, but those are really telling us what is required if we're going to live out of this principle of hope. We're never going to hope to the end if we're not doing these two things. Girding up the loins of your mind and being sober. These are the necessary things that accompany this activity of hoping. First, gird up or girding up the loins of your mind. And that's a beautiful figure of speech. Hopefully, hopefully you children understand what that means. In Peter's day, the, the people, the men too, would wear long robes. They were comfortable. And uh, they, they were comfortable. But these robes, you understand, were inconvenient. They were cumbersome when, when the people had to, had to work or they had to run or exert themselves. And so what they would have to do was gird up their loins. They would uh, gather up the folds of their rope, uh, of their robes, and they would tuck them into their belt. They would maybe gather their robe through their legs, tuck it in, and, and that way they could run or they could exercise themselves. They could work hard. The expression that we would use today would be, roll up your sleeves. Roll up your sleeves and get ready for the work. And Peter applies this to the mind. He says, gird up the loins, roll up the sleeves of your mind. And literally, it's not just the mind, but it's a reference to your thinking, to your discernment. Gird up the loins of your thinking. Get ready to put your thinking into use so that you can distinguish the things of the world from the things of the kingdom of heaven, so that you can hope. And the point is clear. How important is the mind in the Christian's activity of hoping? These words of the text would seem to imply that the greatest hindrance to the exercise of hoping is found within ourselves and in the thoughts and intents of our minds and our hearts. The point is, as a man thinks in his, in his mind and in his heart, so he is. And when the, when the loins of your mind are girded up, and the, the sleeves of your mind are rolled up, then your inner man will also be ready and able to function properly. In your mind, you need to keep your focus on your hope. And if you, in your mind you keep your hope before you, you keep before you that certain expectation, that sure hope of a glorious future, if you keep that in front of you, well then, your calling and your circumstances in life will will fall into their proper place. And you will be able to respond to the difficulties in life properly. Be careful how you think. Be careful how you think about your trials. Be careful how you think about your job about where you put your affections. A greedy man who, who lets his mind go astray so that he starts falling in love with the things of this world. He's not going to live by hope. And then, you know it, when things turn south for him, he becomes hopeless. And he becomes discouraged. And then he becomes an easy prey for the devil because he doesn't have hope anymore. A slothful man who lets his mind go astray so that he falls in love with an easy and lazy life and a reckless lifestyle, is not going to live by hope. And then when he comes across the fiery trials, he's vulnerable and his life will be easily destroyed. Or think of an anxious man who forgets his hope and he's only looking at the things of the world around him. He's only looking at all the bad reports on the news. 
And he can so easily be swallowed up by the cares of this world so that he is discouraged and his spiritual life is choked up. The point is, you can't be a spiritual scatterbrain. Matthew Henry puts it this way. He says, you have a journey to go, a race to run, a warfare to accomplish, and a great work to do. As the traveler, racer, the warrior, and the laborer gather in and gird up their long and loose garments that they may be more ready, prompt, and expeditious in their business, so do you. He says, you do the same by your minds, by your inner man, and your affections seated there. Since you have been so highly honored and privileged by God, since you have God's blessing so richly bestowed upon you, you heard it and were reminded of it this morning. You've been begotten to a lively hope. You know the works of the Lord for you through Jesus Christ. You now also have a Christian calling. You have a life to live as a pilgrim and stranger, one who's unwanted on the earth, the off-scouring of the world. Make sure that your mind is ready for the work. Gird up the loins of your mind. And then, Peter says, he adds, be sober. And that is a similar idea. Be sober. Don't be drunk. And he means don't be spiritually drunk. And just as a drunk man loses control of his faculties and his power, and he, he maybe loses his ability to function at his job and, his, and in his home, and things in his life start falling apart, he, he's not even a, a rational person much of the time. So you, Peter says, don't be drunk spiritually. Don't be intoxicated by the things of this world and the pleasures of this life. Think soberly. Recognize the reality of things. Realize that there is an eternity that is awaiting you after this fleeting and momentary life. Realize that you have the hope of heavenly glory. And realize that this earthly life is not your home. And these earthly circumstances in which you find yourselves in, as a stranger and a pilgrim, full of fiery trials, these are not your final circumstances. There is glory awaiting you. So be realistic. That's what it means to be sober. Be realistic. Drunkenness brings delusions. To be drunk is to think that I will be happy by committing adultery, satisfying the lust of my flesh. To be drunk is to think that pornography isn't going to hurt my brain or hurt my soul or ruin my life. Or that this worldly music or entertainment isn't going to have its effect on me. That's being drunk. I'm not realistic right now. To be drunk is to think that having ungodly friends isn't going to be a snare to me. I'm stronger than that. To be drunk is to think that I can afford to neglect the means of grace this Sunday morning. I can sleep in. And you're drunk. And you stagger through life, unable to, to conduct yourself in a way that pleases the Lord until you stumble and you trip and you fall. And sometimes it's a grievous fall. Sometimes it's a fall into hell. It should be obvious that one who is spiritually drunk cannot live in hope. If you're drunk, you're not hoping. To be sober is to realize that indulging in sin is going to make me miserable. To be sober is to realize I need to be in God's word. And then I do it. 
I don't just say I need to be in God's Word, but then I do it. That's soberness. To be sober is to realize that as a child of God, this world isn't my home. And I will feel like a stranger, a stranger in a strange land. Because my citizenship is in heaven, where Christ is. To be sober is always to keep before you that Jesus is coming. And my calling is to watch and pray and be ready for His coming. To be sober is to realize I need to flee my sins. And to be sober is to recognize that nothing in this world will be perfect. It won't be perfect. But for us who are the children of God, we have a calling to strive. And we also have the hope that the world to come, that will be the perfect world. Life with God and perfect sinlessness. In a word, to be sober is to live in the light of eternity. And to be drunk is to live for the moment. This is how we hope to the end. We gird up the loins of our minds and we are sober. And how is all of this done? Well, that's the rest of the letter. Peter spends the the rest of the letter explaining how this is done. Think upon who God is as the holy God and appreciate that command when he says, Be ye holy, for I am holy. That's how you gird up the loins of your mind and you're sober. Appreciate what God says there. That's verses 14 through 16. Or think upon the truth that God is a God to be feared. How often isn't isn't that something we struggle with? That I'm not fearing God, not, not afraid, but I'm holding Him in reverence in this moment of life. That's verse 17. Or we think upon the truth that we are called to love one another with a pure heart fervently. That's verse 22. That's that's how you uh, hope to the end. Recognize you you have the calling to love each other with a pure heart fervently. Or think upon the calling you have to desire the sincere milk of the word. To live faithfully in marriage. to, To dwell as a man of understanding with your wife. To be faithful as a servant in your employment. To endure persecution. To be a blessing to one another. To resist the devil who walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Be humble. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Submit yourselves to one another. And Peter touches upon all those things in the rest of this beautiful letter. He tells us how to hope to the end and what that looks like. But it it starts here. Think of that glorious future that is awaiting you, purchased for you through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, reserved for you from before the foundations of the world. Think of that glorious future. That's what I would refer to as the incentive the glorious incentive. And we see that in the very beginning of the text. Verse 13, that first word, wherefore. Wherefore. And that means in the light of all these things that I've just said, in the light of verses 1 through 12, now carry out this exhortation. You have a great salvation in store for you. Congregation, you have an eternity in heaven in store for you. Do you realize that? Do you realize that? Heavenly glory is awaiting you when this earthly life is finished. Jesus purchased it for you on the cross. God ordained it for you from eternity. And the Holy Spirit has already begun imparting it to you. You feel it. You've been begotten again to that lively hope. You have that spiritual life in you. 
that will never die. Your sins are forgiven. All your sins are forgiven. You have peace with God. And you have an inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, that fades not away, and it's reserved. It's reserved for you. Ready to be revealed when Christ appears. So great is the salvation, so great is the salvation that even the angels desire to look into it. That's the end of verse 12. Even the angels desire to look into it. And in this present life, yes, if need be, in this present life, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations. You are in sorrow and under a burden and with heartache through many trials. But look ahead to what is in store for you. Yes, run your race. Make your pilgrim journey. Be in this world doing what God has called you to do. Labor in the king's service. But as you do all these things, keep your eyes on that glory that is awaiting you. Keep your eyes on the prize. A gracious prize. Freely given to you. Keep your eyes on that. You have hope, beloved. A certain and sure future. Never forget that. You have hope. And it doesn't depend on you. It's secured in Jesus Christ. How do we respond to that? Blessed be God. That's verse 3. Blessed be God. And then he gives us grace for each moment. Sustaining us along the way. You are kept. His grace is already flowing to us. And his grace will give us the strength to endure all the trials of life. And when Christ returns, that grace will carry you into Father's house and will sustain you perfectly in that life to come, the great glory of the age to come. This is your reality. This is our reality as the children of God, as Christians. Wherefore? Wherefore, my beloved brethren, and sisters in the Lord, friends in Christ. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Gird them up. Be sober. And hope. Hope to the end. Hope fully for the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation, the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, write thy word on our hearts, shape our lives by it. May thy spirit attend this preaching and apply these comforting and glorious truths to us. Help us, Lord, who are such slow learners. Give us that hope. Give us that strong faith and confidence. And we pray, Father, give us to see Jesus the one on whom that hope rests. Bless us preaching then to our hearts and to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.